0: Hey, another two-a-day, another two-a-day night school. It's the age of the two-a-day. But yeah, I'm just going to get into it here, and uh, I'm thinking a little bit about conspiracy theories. And when that's come up on here before, I've mentioned how conspiracy theories are often a source of comfort for people. They give someone a sense of security, even though by their very nature, they would seemingly do the opposite of that. Something's a conspiracy theory, so you'd think that that would actually give you more anxiety and undermine your sense of security. But the reason why it actually gives people security is it makes them think that people are in more control, that people have more control, more power than they really have. Because if if somebody is able to organize and execute a conspiracy behind the scenes that is never properly, that it, it it remains invisible to the average person. It means that somebody is in control. It means that somebody has real power. And we're constantly, there's almost this dilemma where people can't seem to decide whether they believe that people actually do have real Absolute power, or everyone's just a figurehead. Everyone's just going through the motions, and power is just some sort of illusion. And I mean, the greatest example of that is the president of the of the U the U.S. the president of the U.S. Um, where it seems if you support a candidate and they become president. And they do things that you disagree with or they don't do the things they said they were gonna do. It's very easy to be like, well, they don't really have power anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, I know he was elected president of the US. But they don't they don't really let the president do do anything. That's why he either did he had to he had to bomb those people. Obama had to do drone strikes. Trump's fell didn't do that thing he said he was going to do because uh, they just didn't let him. It's the deep state that controls everything. The president's just a figurehead. He's just a figurehead. There's that idea. And then people who hate a candidate will do the opposite where they seem to think that that candidate or that, that president has absolute power and everything bad that happens is is a result of his behavior, and we've seen that the last four years, where people are just hysterical and unhinged, you know, you're, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's like the the tire on your bicycle goes flat, and it's like, hey, it's because it, Trump's fell, you know, The air pressure, you know, uh, the leak, uh, there was a nail in the road. And, uh, you know, somehow that's because, you know, people find these excuses to blame the person in power. And they seem to have a much easier time believing that the person who holds a position like president has absolute power when they don't like him. Because that way you can just blame everything on him. But like I was saying, the opposite is true, too, where it seems like if you like a candidate or if you're ambivalent even, it's very easy just to be like, well, he doesn't have real power anyway. Oh, the reason that Obama didn't turn our country into paradise is because they just didn't let him. He didn't have real power. So people kind of get into that mode when it comes to somebody holding a position like president, where they can't really decide if they believe that p- position is that position is as powerful as it's made out to be, or if it is just they're a figurehead. I mean, I personally believe it's probably somewhere in between, maybe not an exact center between those ideas. It's exactly, here's the reality. The power of the president is exactly center between total powerlessness and absolute power. You know, I'm not going to say that it's right in the middle but I think it probably rests somewhere in there, probably rests somewhere in that spectrum where obviously the guy, just the way our country is structured, the guy can't do anything and everything he wants. But he's also just not just an empty vessel moving around either. So, uh, you know, that. And it it does play, play into conspiracy and conspiracy oriented thinking. And you just the phrase conspiracy theory. I don't know when that became a category. I don't know when that became a genre. I know that the JFK assassination was, you know, last episode I was talking about Black Sabbath. And I would say the JFK assassination is sort of the black Sabbath of conspiracy theory. in the same way that Black Sabbath, is considered sort of a proto-metal band. I would say that the JFK assassination is the proto-conspiracy theory, at least as it relates to the genre of conspiracy theory that we now have, where when somebody says conspiracy theory, we don't take that literally. Because you think about the word conspiracy, which... Conspiracies are going on all the time. People conspire. In big ways, small ways, everything in between. Conspiracies are always happening, and you can be charged with conspiracy. You know, in addition to a murder charge in court, you can be charged with murder conspiracy, which means that you were privy to the plan, basically, but you didn't commit the actual murder. And you can be charged simply with conspiracy. You know, if people believe you were part of an illegal operation... You see it all the time in RICO cases, people are charged with conspiracy. So it's a, you know, the idea of a conspiracy is a very real thing, and we know they happen all the time, and we know that sometimes they get prosecuted, sometimes they don't, sometimes we know about them, sometimes we don't. And a theory is something we do all the time as well. You know, again, I'm just looking at this literally, a conspiracy theory, looking at that phrase in as literal terms as possible. So you have something that happens all the time, and because it happens all the time, naturally we would theorize about it. And being humans, we will try to connect the dots. Uh, but at some point, it became this genre. It became an interest. It became somebody's passion, in the same way that some people are into music, art, some people are into you know, fiction, some people are into different subjects you know some people are, are interested in conspiracy theories and of course it has a very pejorative use when you say that somebody is in interested in conspiracy theories the assumption is they're into bullshit <laughs> you know it's it's not like oh he's into conspiracy theories and by saying that by pointing that out I'm letting you know that everything he's into is totally real and valid. And I think highly of it. No, very rarely are you going to say that. And very rarely is it somebody that somebody is going to self identify with. Very rarely is is somebody who's actually interested in that stuff. Not just interested because I know people who are interested in conspiracy theories and they would say as much, but people who legitimately believe in a given conspiracy theory would never say, "Oh, well, hey, my name's Eric and I'm interested in conspiracy theories." They're unlikely to say that. They would instead they'd be like, well, "Don't you know this is what happened?" They're more likely to say that. And so the same is true when somebody is talking about that person like, "Oh, this is my cousin Jim. He's into conspiracy theories." It's like you don't you don't talk about that as if he was into skateboarding or as if he was into uh, you know, old Western movies. It's used in this sort of pejorative sense to say, oh, he's into weird shit. He's into weird bullshit. That's kind of how it's used. I'm, I know that I'm swearing, but, you know, it's not me. I'm doing a character. See, you can swear if you're doing a character. It's a different. But yeah, at some point it became its own genre, and I guess JFK was sort of the Black Sabbath of that genre. In that, you know, at the time, it was a very valid, I mean, to this day, it's a valid question of whether there was more at play with the JFK assassination. And I went through a little phase, maybe, I think I was a young teenager, I read a little bit about it. I also saw, I saw the Oliver Stone movie, JFK, and that movie, of course, makes it out like, this is exactly what happened. Here's what the conspiracy was. And then you read about it afterward, and you realize, oh, yeah, this was a movie, This was a movie that made a very convincing portrayal of a certain theory that turns out didn't have that much weight to it. But I'm not that interested in that. I'm not terribly interested in those sorts of conspiracies. I'm not terribly interested in 9-11. It seems that 9-11 is really what... That's when it bloomed into a true genre. 9-11 is when conspiracy theories really bloomed into an industry. Not just a genre, but an industry. Because you could read about them before that. I remember getting the internet in the late 90s and reading about these things. There were websites that were dedicated to what would be called conspiracy theories. And it was already something. There was already, you know, It kind of fit into the paranormal, Roswell. I guess these are some of the things. These are some of the foundations of this genre, and industry for that matter. You know, Roswell, alien crash, aliens in general, all of these things were related. They tended to attract the same, if not similar, types of people, similar interest. But yeah, it's it's come to be used almost pejoratively, and some people are self-aware, and they just enjoy reading about the things people think about, and evidence where it exists, and You know, they're interested in seeing how some people connect certain dots. I can see why someone's interested in that stuff. And I would never, you know, I would never trash somebody for being interested in it. It's just that I'm personally not terribly interested in it. And I'm definitely not interested in it when someone has wide eyes and wide unblinking eyes and they try to tell you that something is absolutely how it happened. And, of course, it became an industry. You, know, you sell videos, you sell books. People become their own little celebrities in that world. And cool, it's its own little ecosystem. I have no problem with that. As I've said before, I have no problem with snake oil, if it even is snake oil. I'm not the Wikipedia gatekeeper who needs to add a, some sort of disclaimer where it's like, this is pseudoscience. This is snake oil. This is a conspiracy theory. I don't feel that it's my role nor my right to brand things. If it's convincing, if the evidence is there, well, allow me to review it if I care enough. You know, if I care enough, I will look into that. But personally, I don't think it's my right, nor do I think it's anybody else's right to tell somebody that they're wrong. And to brand them using some sort of pejorative, like, pseudoscience or conspiracy theory. It just, you know, it's just not my place. And I wouldn't want somebody to respond to me about something I'm passionate about in that way. But I'm just not interested in it. You know, I think that's part of it, is that I'm not interested in it. And it's funny how not being interested in something makes you want to brand it. Even if it's not deserved, you know, like I've mentioned, like wanting to tell somebody a band sucks because you don't like it. Oh, you like them? They suck, but they suck. That's a form of that. That's sort of what someone does when they say, oh, oh, you think that that happened? Oh, you think 9 11 was an inside job? That sucks. What you're into sucks. Oh, you believe in psychic phenomena? You believe in aliens? That sucks. Being into that, that just sucks. That's sort of what you're saying when you dismiss that stuff or you brand it a certain way. And again, to go back to the, the security of it, I think that's an important part to understanding these things. Is it gives people a sense of security. It's, dare I say, a security blanket to believe that these things are orchestrated. I mean, 9-11 being an example, and I, I really don't even enjoy using these things as examples. My skin kind of crawls just saying 9-11 or saying JFK. JFK 9-11, JFK 9-11. You want to torture me, just call me. Call me from an anonymous number and just say, JFK 9-11, JFK 9-11, JFK 9-11. And my skin will crawl off my body. And through the the receiver of the phone, did you know that your skin can travel through telephone wires? All you have to do is say the words "JFK 911" to somebody to to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't even like to like l- give specific examples. That's how uninterested I am in that stuff. I feel like this is sort of a thou doth protest too much, too. It's like, oh, so you, you know, you're saying, you keep saying that you hate these things. You keep saying these things suck. Well, maybe maybe you actually are interested in these. It's like somebody who just, like, in every conversation is like, I'm not attracted to children. Oh, that reminds me how I'm not attracted to children. It's like at some point you'd be like, how come you always say that? <laughs> how come you always insert that into every discussion? It seems like maybe you're trying to hide from something it seems like maybe you're obsessed with something. That's me in conspiracy theories where I'm just like just so you know I'm not interested in conspiracy theories, but let me just tell you I'm not interested in cons- you know it's almost like that that's how I feel saying that, but it's true I'm not what I'm interested in is I'm interested in The idea of conspiracy theories. See, there we go. I have sort of this meta approach to it, where I'm not interested in individual conspiracy theories. I'm interested in the phenomenon that is conspiracy theory. The industry and genre of it. And why it appeals to people. And like I was saying before somebody, I mean, there's only one person in this room, but before somebody derailed me... You know, I was saying how, you know, it does give people this sense of security to think that somebody is in power. And even if that's not the person you want in power, it's not the person who's supposed to be in power. It might not be the president. It might it, it might be somebody behind the scenes. It might be some group of people. It might be some N.W.A. It might be the N.W.A. The New World... Uh, The new world attitude. It might be the new world attitude. The new worlds with attitude. It might be them. But, uh, you know, gives somebody some sense of security. It's almost like having a parent. And this kind of gets into Jungian thought. You know, where Jungian talked about people who, even as adults, see their parents as these looming figures. And those are often the same people who still fear their parents or still have some sort of resentment toward their parents and think their parents are still running their life or they can't get out from under their parents' shadow. And those people they all, those people are almost conspiracy theorists about their parents where they think their parents are these maestros who are in control of everything and that everything they ever did was planned out. Every shitty thing my parents ever did to me was a deliberate plan From before I was born. Because that gives somebody a sense of security. When the reality is is your parents were winging it. Your parents are as as clueless as you are now. Even if they are smart people. Even if they are wise people. Your parents of course aren't perfect. And because they're not perfect. And because some of them may have done shitty things. Or even if you had really good parents. Like I'm very happy with the parents I ended up with. And they, neither of them were perfect. Neither of them are perfect. Um, and I don't have any misgivings about that, though, because I know that they're human beings who are just figuring life out. And then they had to figure out this other life, two other lives, three other lives. You know, I have two other siblings, and they had to figure out not just their own lives— not just their lives together while they were still married, but they also had to sort out what it is to raise one kid, then another kid. And my dad, my, you know, I have a half-sister with my dad on my dad's side. And, uh, you know, it's, so it's like this is a person who, like, it's hard enough to figure out your own life. And if they can even manage that at all, it's pretty incredible, which is why I have a lot of respect for my parents because I'm, I'm impressed that they were able to do as well as they did, given the fact that it's hard to even manage one life, let alone other lives. But, you know, Carl Jung talked about seeing people who have the biggest issues with their parents, and, you know, barring abuse, barring, like, serious trauma and, you know, horrible mistreatment, by your parents, there are a lot of people who had relatively good lives, but nonetheless see their parents as, I mean, they still feel like a child with their parents towering over them, controlling everything they do. And even though they will go to therapy and bitch about their parents, excuse my language, even though they will go to therapy and complain about their parents, maybe for the rest of their lives, maybe even after their parents are gone, because people do that you know it's there even though it's it's this it gives them some sense of meaning it's like they never grew out of the desire to rebel against their parents for one and the reason why they never grew out of that desire is because they continue to see their parents as some sort of controlling figure in their life and of course they might still control you emotionally you know it's not like you can completely escape the power that your parent has over you just by the fact that they are your parent but it does verge into this conspiracy theory. And I've known some people who have serious misgivings about their parents. And while I can't, I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly what their entire life was like. Although in some cases it's people that I've been close enough to where I have a pretty good idea of what their childhood was like in that, you know, I witnessed it and I was in their home and things like that. And, uh, you know i I see that though, and it's like it it almost verges into conspiracy theory, and when you hear people complain about their parents when they're well into adulthood and they have their own lives and and you know that nothing was that bad in their childhood, it almost verges into like where it feels like you're listening to a conspiracy theorist, and it's not my place to try to shut them down da- shut them down or tell them what their life was actually like. But it does feel as delusional as somebody who's just knee-deep in the conspiracy theory genre. And I don't think it's a coincidence that both of those types of people, even though they're in theory, you know, in theory, we're talking about conspiracy theory, but just in theory these people are rebelling against something. Like somebody who's interested in conspiracy theories is... Allegedly rebelling against that. They're allegedly rebelling against that power because they think that they're somehow breaking the rules by investigating this, by reading about it. I'm rebelling against George Bush. I'm rebelling against George Bushel by uh, reading about what really happened in 9-11. You know, someone feels like a rebel against Bush when they read about 9-11 or they did you know and it's the same thing where it's like somebody who's complaining about their parents who can't seem to get over the fact that their parents are imperfect in a way they're continually rebelling against them and they enjoy the fact that they get to feel like a rebel because we all sort of like that we all like that feeling of being a rebel and we try to balance it we like we like the safety of acceptance And we, you know, we all want our place, but we also get off on this rebel fantasy, and that fantasy gets more and more absurd with time, I feel, as more and more, you know, rebel, you know, rebel, let me try to think of the way to say that, art forms, for example, it's something I talk about on here, is how, you know, rebel art forms are either co-opted by larger forces, or they're just they just get ground down, grinded, grinded, ground. They just get grinded, if I'm saying that right, into something that's just impotent. But people still cling on to the image of it. They still cling on to the aesthetic of it. You know, because I I think about, you know, being like 14 or 15 or however old I was when I went through my very brief punk phase. And it was brief. But I think about that, and it, it seemed like, I I wouldn't have believed if you had told me 20 years later that a bunch of my peers in my age range would still be into that or would newly get into that. Like if you told me that people I knew in their mid 30s would newly become punks. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have believed you cuz then it seemed like it was it was just fumes you know getting into punk in like whatever year that was 2001 2000 probably right before 911 i stopped being into punk right before 911 probably probably does match up i probably like started to hate punk rock cuz i realized it wasn't what i was looking for but i i probably started to hate it like right before 911 or right around 911 um uh, but, you know, even then, I, re- I remember being like, oh, this is only fumes of something that's just no longer relevant. Not that people still can't be interested in it. Not that there isn't something interesting about it on a musical level and just a subcultural level. But the idea that that was still some sort of potent force. I, you could just barely even smell the fumes, I felt like, when I was 14 or 15. And I'm sure people had been feeling that way for the, you know, since I was born, You know, I'm sure people were feeling that way in 1985. And so these things, you know, it's it's just amazing, though, when you when you look at it in like 2020 and you're like, oh, there's a bunch of people who are just got into like being punks in their 30s or like there's like 40 year olds who are now going through their first punk phase. I've mentioned how I know people who have suddenly decided in adulthood that they're Heschers now. Not that they were they weren't Heschers in their teens and they just never grew out of it. These I know some people who decided to become heshers and call themselves heshers. Maybe I just know the wrong people. <laughs> Maybe I just know the wrong people, but uh, there's people who do that now. And and so you know you're lucky if you know something doesn't just get turned into dust. And you know you're well, not just anything, but just you know that sort of rebelliousness. You know you're lucky if some sort of rebellious interest of yours just to put it broadly, doesn't just become dust in a short amount of time. And so you'll always have a need to find things to rebel against. And, and what better than things that never really change? Like, you can always find a reason to rebel against your parents. You can always find a reason to rebel against the government. So, you know, rebelling against something that is just sort of fixed, and especially when you don't have a real reason which I think is what I'm getting at here, where there's not necessarily a real reason to keep rebelling against your parents or rebelling against the government or rebelling against this idea. You know, not to say there isn't any reason, but it seems like many people don't have a real reason, but part of it is just this need to feel like you're fighting something, and that's something that both conspiracy theorists and parent haters have in common. You know, I'm not sure exactly what you are. And I bet there's a correlation between those as I cut myself off. But uh, I bet there's a correlation. Like if you were to ask conspiracy theorists what they think of their parents, you know, I wonder how many of them would say they hate them. Maybe not as many as I think. There might not be that actually I might be wrong about that. But that kind of gets into my next point, which is conspiracy theory is so common now. You know, it's, beca- it's it's bled out into all these other areas of our lives to the point where it seems like everybody believes in some kind of conspiracy theory. And I mean that in the pejorative sense, where they believe in something outlandish and they've committed to it. So you see where it's, I don't know, it's it's become just a part of existing in our modern world to believe in things that other people don't believe in and think you're stupid for believing in. Meanwhile, you look at them and think that they believe in unreal things and that they're stupid for believing in those. And so it becomes this war of competing conspiracy theories. And not that the actual theories different groups believe are in direct competition with each other, but we all seem to have something we can point at these other groups and say... Yeah, well, you believe this. You believe this. You know, we all have something like that that we can point at other people and say. And, I mean, it's going on right now where, you know, conservatives can look at liberals and say, hey, you believed in this Russian collusion hoax. Like, you believed that Russians meddled in the 2016 election, and there no real evidence has been produced. Like, maybe some people made bot accounts But there doesn't appear to be any evidence that Russian agents actually interfered in the election process itself. Maybe there were some people, you know, making Facebook accounts and memes or something, which, you know, that seems relatively light as far as foreign intelligence goes. You know, tell the CIA 50 years ago, hey, you know, in in 50 years, your job's going to be really easy. All you have to do is make cartoon memes and make Facebook accounts. So we'll tell you, you'll learn what Facebook is later. But all you have to do is make these accounts that you can share with anybody, everybody. And they're really easy to make. And the dumber they are, the more effective they are. They would think that was a conspiracy theory. They would think that you were just pulling that out of thin air. That would be a joke. That would be a joke around the CIA water cooler, the idea that foreign collusion or something would be that easy. But my point being is that a lot of the left for the last four years has believed that Russia directly interfered. They hacked our election, and no evidence has come out of that. And then now we're seeing this with the voter fraud thing, which I have mixed feelings about. You know, I don't love when people jump to the conclusion that, oh, it had to have been fraud. There had to have been something wrong with the process for this to be the result. I don't love it when people jump to those conclusions. And it does feel a little bit like something conservatives can grab hold of and say, well, hey, uh, since you guys didn't believe in since you guys believed in Russian collusion in the previous election, you know, we're not going to let you off the hook and we're going to accuse you of some sort of nefarious plot in this election. Although I guess to go off on, you know, a little tangent here, what really concerns me about potential voter fraud in 2020 is that we have created a climate of the ends justify the means. And nobody has made that more clear than the left. We saw that over the summer with the violence and riots. And if you don't believe that the riots were extensive, I, I, that's an issue too. That's become a conspiracy theory when there's plenty of concrete evidence. That I mean, Portland being the best example... I have friends who live there. It's well-documented. There are countless videos. There were nightly videos, and these weren't staged, you know, where there's serious unrest at the very least. Like, if you don't believe there was serious, consistent unrest, unprecedented in my generation's lifetime, I don't know what to tell you. Um, But, uh, you know... What I'm getting at is that we've created this climate where the ends justify the means and people legitimately believe Donald Trump's Feld is a fascist dictator. Which it's interesting, like how someone gets around the cognitive dissonance of that, of the idea that let's vote the fascist dictator out, even though an actual fascist dictator, you know, wouldn't even allow an election. And you can talk about how this, you know, alleged voter fraud could play into that we'll see but just the idea that that this guy is the absolute essence of evil is an idea that was kind of the way it started i mean this is how i saw it as an observer this is what i saw over the last four four and a half years when trumpsfeld became the the republican candidate before the 2016 election, is what I saw was, oh, this guy could become a fascist dictator. This guy could become a Hitler. It went from saying this guy could be our worst nightmare to this guy is our worst nightmare. And then that went to this guy is the worst nightmare. And then you end up with statements from people like Noam Chomsky, who fairly recently made a statement, and I know he's old. I know he's old, but he made a statement where he said Donald Trump's is the worst criminal in human history. He said that. And it's unbelievable to me. I mean, first of all, I don't believe that statement. I can't it's unbelievable to me that Chomsky, who I'm not gonna say I've ever agreed with him, but I think of him as an intelligent guy. I'm not I mean to me saying Noam Chomsky is stupid is like saying the Beatles suck. You don't have to be a fan to recognize that he's obviously a smart guy in the same way that you don't have to be a fan of the Beatles to recognize that they were a very powerful band and good at what they did, very good. I'm not a fan, but I can recognize that. But when you hear a guy like Chomsky say that, it's like, what am I missing? Because I'm aware of the criticisms. I, I'm definitely aware of the criticisms, and I don't see it as my role to defend Trump's to people I know or anything like that. But when you have statements that he's the worst criminal in human history, I'm like, this, this tunnel has gotten so thin and smoky that that's what you're seeing now. You're hallucinating. You are, you're actually hallucinating if you believe that. Or I'm hallucinating. I, hey, you know, let me know. Let me know if you think I'm hallucinating when I say that I don't think Donald Trump's is the worst criminal in human history. It's an unbelievable statement coming from somebody, and maybe, I don't know, I mean, maybe he was, maybe he made it clear that he was using hyperbole, but I know that he said it, and I know that I've heard many people say similar things, and so that becomes a conspiracy theory, like when you start hearing people say, oh, no, it's not that, what, you, you, there's this progression, and maybe it wasn't, a, maybe not so much a, a progression, but a, a degeneration You know, it seems like the ideas haven't evolved, but they've de evolved, where they've gone from, well, we could see Trump being sort of like a modern American Hitler, to we think that Trump is a modern American Hitler, to we think Trump is far worse than Hitler. And going back to the idea of the ends justifying the means, when you have the left convincing themselves that Donald Trumpsfeld is worse than Adolf Hitler, and he's the worst criminal in human history. You start to wonder what are they willing to do to get rid of him. People I know were wishing that he would die when he had COVID, coronavirus. Many people I know, because most of the people I'm connected to on Facebook are people that I know in real life, or I, you know, somehow there's a personal connection one way or another, maybe they're people I know through art or music, but they're mostly people that I have some kind of tangible connection to, these aren't total strangers to me and particularly the people I do know in real life, people who live in this town who tend to be pretty far left but I was seeing them wish that this man died when he had coronavi when he was on the Koronevi island and you know the it's not a stretch to believe that those people would also want him assassinated. Like, if he were assassinated, they would celebrate it. And so these people view this man, as you know, Chomsky said, the worst criminal in human history, which seems like we're verging into that sort of parental resentment conspiracy theory zone again, where even though people have been hysterical about this guy— You know, and maybe some of that's valid. You know, I'm not saying there aren't valid reasons to dislike the guy or to criticize him or anything else. It has nothing to do with me saying, suck it up. You can't say anything. You can't say anything. You know, I'm not coming from that place at all. It's when I'm seeing this hysterical response to things that I don't feel warrant it. And again, maybe I'm the one who's hallucinating. Let me know. Let me know. I'll try to. I'll turn off the hallucination. I'll press the hallucination button, and just to make sure it's off. And you know, maybe it's me. I don't think so, though. Um, and uh, but when you've convinced yourself of that, when you've convinced that somebody is the absolute essence of evil, you end up believing that any means necessary to remove that person from power can and should be used. And that alone is why I wouldn't be shocked if it came out that there was voter fraud. I'm just an observer here, though. I am an observer. Uh, and someone can point at potential voter fraud and say, well, that's a conspiracy theory to suggest that there was voter fraud. But it seems that that's just kind of the standard now. And the left set set that standard with... Uh, The 2016 election, this idea of Russians being involved. So it's only natural, one way or another, whatever the substance is, it's only natural that the right then respond in kind. Because that's the problem with that sort of currency. When your currency becomes conspiracy, that's what you get and that's what you give. And you're basically like, well... You're the one who believes in conspiracy theories. You know, and it's it's just basically like, I know, I, I know you are, but what am I? It's that sort of logic just through an... I mean, how do you even break that? How do you break that? How do you stop this game of Pong? I don't know. I'm not trying to stop it. It's not my job to stop it. But, uh... You know, and I don't think it's a surprise that the president, the role of president goes hand in hand with conspiracy theory and why it's similar to someone's resentment of their parents. Because when you see the president as this looming figure, it's not unlike what Carl Jung said about people who managed to remain. They managed to remain. I'm trying to think of the word he used. I'd have to go back through the book, but. It's been a while since I've read it. But basically, he mentioned how it's like your, your parents can have this just looming shadow. It can feel like they're towering over you. And as a result, you're never really a- able to come to grips with the control you have over your own life. Because you'll always see them as some sort of controlling force. And so if you see your parents that way, of course you're going to see this patriarchal figure in your society, the president, in a similar way and given the way that conspiracies fit into people's lives in a similar way, in that they, there's something you don't like. Like, when you talk about a conspiracy theory, it's something you don't like. But yet you can't let go of it, because it gives you some kind of comfort. And I think it's very similar with the president, where I think people hold on to their hysteria about a given candidate. I mean, we saw it under Obama, which, you know, I didn't trust Obama. I don't trust these people. I don't trust these any of these people. I really don't. And we saw it under Obama, though, where a lot of people, you know, came up with insane conspiracy theories about him. I mean, there were very real things you could point out about the Obama presidency, but people latched on to some very bizarre ideas. They went at him in some very bizarre ways, and that just... It's it's the game of Pong again. You know, all this has been going on for a long time. And you know, the vo- they volleyed back in the other direction, you know, Donald Trump's felt one, and you see very bizarre allegations against him. And again, like with Obama, it's not like there isn't a basis for criticism. It's not like there aren't reasons you should you shouldn't be upset. But it's people come up with some very bizarre ideas. And they start be- behaving strangely. And so we've been seeing this for quite a while. And I mean, again, it might go back to that 9-11 Bush era. You know, people had problems with Bill Clinton. You know, I, I only go back so far. I'm not going to tell you what it was like under earlier presidents when I was a little kid or before I was born. Uh, but uh, with, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff I in my life, I, I feel like it started to come come up under Bush Um, because that that was where you would hear like he's not my president which is very similar to saying you're not my dad it's a very similar sort of statement and I I just do feel that you're inevitably going to see these people in a similar way yet you get a certain security from the fact that they're in that role in the same way that somebody who resents their parents also gets some sort of twisted security out of it in knowing that their parent is in control, or they think they are. I mean, the reality is their parent isn't, but they get some sort of twisted security out of the idea that they think their parent is in control or in power. And so that plays out, of course, with politicians, where it's like somebody gets a perverse sense of security out of the fact that they think this person is controlling every little thing they do. Not that this person doesn't control anything, cuz like as I said, you know, I see politicians, not just the president, but I see politicians as somewhere in between and probably it's always moving. I don't think they're static. But I see them somewhere in between having no power and themselves being subjects of a much deeper system, much more intricate system as well as having a certain amount of influence. I see them somewhere in between that, and probably constantly moving. I mean, they themselves are probably the ball in a game of ping pong. Where they themselves would probably tell you they feel sometimes like they are bouncing between having no power and having too much power. If you were to actually have a real honest conversation with a politician, they would probably tell you that. And uh, with that, though, you know, it's like we ourselves can't decide which they are. And they probably respond to that. You know, when everybody's saying, when everybody's like screaming, like, this guy has too much power. This guy has way too much power. That probably impacts the way that a given politician feels about their own power. And when people look at him and they're just like, oh, he's weak, he's got nothing going for him, they probably respond to that in some way as well. And all of that makes it very difficult for me to commit to these ideas because there are so many moving pieces because this game of Pong is so intricate. And there are so many smaller games of Pong going on inside of it. It makes it very difficult for me to just take a stance on certain things. And people would criticize me for that. People have criticized me for that. It doesn't happen often, but it has happened. Because I do have stances. I do have straightforward values. I don't see this show as the outlet for those. I don't want this to be a platform where I try to tell people... Exactly what how they should live Like I like to share things that I think Are insights I like to share things that have been Helpful to me and I know I probably Don't succeed in My effort to To avoid preaching I think it's just it's one of those inevitabilities It's part of being imperfect is That you will do the thing that you're trying Not to do Sometimes But I do try to keep my actual values As minimized As possible They're just like a computer, though. They're minimized, but it's still running in the background. And, you know, it's still still running somewhere. So it's going to get brought up eventually. I mean, that's sort of how I feel. When I make some sort of actual statement about society, about politics, about people, when I make some sort of declaration on this show, it sort of feels like I had some sort of shameful web page minimized and I'm doing a presentation in front of a class and I accidentally click on that and, and, and it just ever now everybody knows my fetish now the whole class knows what kind of women I look at on the internet it's kind of how it feels though that's kind of how it feels when I feel like I reveal too much or I make too much of a declaration or I preach about what other people should do or shouldn't do. But one thing is for sure is that I see these people as people, and I don't like all of them. I don't like everybody. Even though I see everybody as part of some interconnected whole, I don't like everybody. But I am very aware of the chaos. And that gets into that quote, Zabinu Brzezinski, whatever his name is, that, that... Old political guy. I always get his name wrong. It's an Eastern European name. Zabinu, is it Brzezinski? I don't know. You know who I'm talking about. If you know who I'm talking about, you know who I'm talking about. But it's just one of my all-time favorite quotes, and it's come up on here before, because it manages to fit in in many situations, and this is yet another episode where it fits in. But it's, you know, history is more the product of chaos than conspiracy. I love that quote because it's what I believe. I believe history is more the product of chaos than conspiracy. Not to say there is no conspiracy. I don't believe there has been no conspiracy. Obviously, there is is non-stop, constant conspiracy. But the fact that so many different conspiracies are going on, that itself is chaos. The fact that so many different people, individuals, groups... There's crossover between them all. The fact that so many different people are scheming and plotting and planning and trying to organize and worried about other people's plots and plans and attempts to organize. The fact that all of that is going on at the same time is total chaos. Like we like to believe that, oh, it's a conspiracy. It means one group has just been in total control forever. It's like this straight line. Like we think of conspiracies as this straight line. And especially when we think about history and we're like, oh, all these people planned this. Especially when we look at really bad things. And not that we should justify horrible events in history. But I think we, have a, we can gain a better understanding of horrible events when we realize that those were as much a product of chaos as they were some orderly plan that somebody had from the beginning, some strategy. There was probably a lot of improvisation that led to the horror. There was probably a lot of emotion. There's probably a lot of hysteria. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so critical of the hysteria in recent years. Not critical of criticism not critical of people who voice their opinions or take a stand against things that they don't agree with or believe in. I'm not against that at all. But when things reach the point of hysteria, I immediately lose trust. And I like to trust everybody. I try to trust everybody. I feel that my system of filtration is strong enough that I can trust everybody and the bullshit will get caught up in the filter and the good ideas will still make it through. Because just because I don't completely trust something, or something does have some bullshit to it, it doesn't mean there isn't a good I- good idea in there that I can gain something from. It doesn't mean there is no truth at all. Which is why I try to keep my filter clean. It's like your fish tank. you got to clean the filter. Now, I try to keep my filter clean because that way I can trust people and take in what they say... But I don't have to worry about being corrupted by it. I can just kind of take it and, you know, let it sit. And and I, you know, and if I have to make a decision about it, I will. But a lot ends up getting stuck in the filter, and that's fine. Um, but I I look at history, and as that quote says, you know, more the product of chaos than conspiracy. When you think about the sheer the multitude of conspiracies going on at any given time. And that history is the product of an infinite number of competing conspiracies. Some of them separate, some of them interrelated, certainly not a straight line. They're kind of like constellations. Think about all the different conspiracies going on at a given time. It's probably like looking up at the sky and seeing stars. And then, I mean, just even, re- I mean, you think about constellations are a form of conspiracy theory. Oh, so you're telling me that this group of stars are connected, and you—they you, have a name. Doesn't that, that, that it's no belt? You're telling me that that's a spoon, a dipper. You're telling me that's Orion's belt. Where'd you get that? And when you look at uh, constellations, some of them—where did they get that? You look at constellations and you're like, where did that? Where did they get that idea? That's a bear. But you just kind of go with it. I mean, constellations are sort of an act of faith to recognize them at all. And I mean, there is something to it where like some some stars line up in an interesting way. But uh, the idea of like being like, no, they're together. Oh, those stars. There's two of them that are side by side, and there's one of them kind of up there, and they're together. That's a conspiracy theory, as far as I'm concerned, an ancient conspiracy theory. But if you actually look at the sky, you're like, wow, that's chaos. All those stars in this big void of space. So, I mean, I think you can look at human history the same way you would look at the night sky and say, yeah, there's a lot going on up there. And it's kind of fun to connect things, and maybe some things are connected. But the reality is you can look at it similarly... And the fact that anything is connected at all, the fact that anything can be strung into some sort of continuous narrative is either a rarity or it's fiction, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you think about the changes that have happened in your lifetime, and then you think about the entirety of our country's history, and all the years before that, and those are just the years that we have documentation of. And you figure a history book is a way of stringing information together into some form of narrative. And you think about all the different possibilities. If you're, this isn't even me being like, history's written by the Victus. Men named Victor traditionally write history books. Vic. History's written by Vic. Hist- what do you mean, Victor? It, it turns out, actually, history is written by Victoria. It was a a chick named Victoria who actually writes history. Everyone always says Victor, but it was a a mistranslation. It was a woman. She writes history. But you think about that, you know, this isn't even me being like, history is written by the... This This isn't me turning history books into a conspiracy theory by being like, they only tell you what they want you to hear, which is true, of course, to some degree. But it's like, think about how hard it is to try to compile Not a comprehensive history, but think about even trying to compile a history book that just covers what you think the relevant events are or the most important events are. You're still having to pick and choose so much. And then the idea of making that readable, you know, inevitably that's just trying to, you know, put a harness on chaos. And you're lucky if you get it even remotely right. Because, I mean, to actually understand history, you would have to read so much, and not just that, you'd have to trust everything you're reading. So even trying to comprehend history is an exercise in chaos that you will never succeed at. So, of course, history itself would be even more chaotic than that. So I love that quote. I love that quote of, you know, history is more the product of chaos than conspiracy. But again, people get comfort out of the idea that history is some sort of continuous conspiracy, that all of this stuff was planned because it makes you feel like somebody is in control. And I might not like what they're doing. I might hate it. I might be hysterical about it. They might be the worst criminal in human history. But we like the security of, of thinking that history itself is some sort of conspiracy in the same way we like to think of our parents as these conspirators. My, my parents got together and they planned my entire life. They said when she's 17, we're going to take the car away for some bullshit reason. When she's 17 and a half, we're going to accuse her of, of smoking. You know, we like to think that, you know, our parents are these conspirators. We like to think that history is this total conspiracy. We like to believe that the the president wields absolute control when we don't like him and has no control when we do like him. to to justify his faults and you know, it it all just fits together where we use conspiracies to both demoralize ourselves, but also make us believe we are in somebody else's hands. And when you face the reality that you're not, most of the time at least, you know, when you face the reality that most of who you are and what you do is your own responsibility, and it's you who has a full range of motion of what you can do within any given situation— It's difficult, but it's also necessary. And in the same way... Because, I mean, I think part of the reason for that is because you yourself will feel just consumed by that chaos, the historical chaos. I mean, if you've seen the movie Julian Donkey Boy, there's the poem he reads at the, I guess, breakfast or dinner table... And of course he's crazy. It's about a crazy guy as if if you're if you're familiar with that, you know, if you're familiar with the movie Julian Donkey Boy, you, you know what I mean? And he reads this poem to his family and it goes morning chaos, afternoon chaos, evening chaos, morning chaos, afternoon chaos, evening chaos, and I think he he throws in some other things there, but he's basically just repeating different times of the day with chaos (laughs) set after them. And I saw that way back in the day, and it it just cracked me up. I love that part, Uh, because that's what it feels like. When you get away from the idea that your parents are the conspirators, that the president is a a conspirator, when you get away from the idea that everybody is conspiring all the time to control you, you might feel like every part of the day is some kind of chaos. You might just be at the dinner table and want to read a poem you wrote, Saying morning chaos, afternoon chaos, evening chaos, morning chaos, evening... You know, you might want to do that. But it gives you an opportunity to take more control of the way you think. And the way you interact with the world. When you're not constantly feeling like people are pulling you one way or another. You might start saying, fuck my life, less... Oh, I've noticed, you know, ever since I stared into the abyss and faced the fact that people aren't pulling at me every which direction all the time, things are actually starting to feel less chaotic. You know, you can become the conspirator in your own life, not to say everything's going to work out perfectly, and I'm still figuring this out myself. I've learned this much. I've come this far. There's still a lot more I need to do to, you know, to write myself and get, you know, to, to, to find my own security. But that's kind of what it comes down to, is when you become the conspirator in your own life, the sole conspirator, you do get a lot more security. Because previously you were getting security from the idea that your parents are mean, that Bush did 9-11, that Donald Trumpsfeld is the worst human being in human history. That Obama was a Muslim. You know, whatever it is that you're latching onto, this idea that somebody is doing something underhanded that also controls your life in a negative way, when you get away from that, your only option left is to become the sole conspirator in your life. And then you might be able to look at the stars and just enjoy it. Maybe you'll come up with a new constellation. Maybe you'll look at the stars and not feel like you're staring into a void of chaos, but you'll actually be able to look up at the stars and be like, hey, there's a couple stars over there. Maybe you'll come up up with a new name for an existing constellation because you'll realize that, oh, hey, that's not something that's set in stone. Orion's Belt, that was just something that some guy came up with and a bunch of people stuck to it. A bunch of people liked the idea. Turns out... One of the things you can do when you become the sole conspirator in your own life is you can come up with your own names for things. And people do that. And and those things, sometimes other people pick up on it. Sometimes other people will go, oh, hey. You know, hey, maybe in 30 years, every single human being is going to say Donald Trump's failed. Maybe in 30 years, every single person is going to look back at the coronavirus and say, Oh, do you mean the coronavi? You never know. Call things what you want, within reason. Maybe it'll. <laughs> maybe you're going to be naming constellations in the future. Maybe you're going to be renaming constellations. We seem to be in an era where renaming things is uh, a possibility. It Seems to be already be happening. The Washington Football Team. If you if you watch football. There's no longer a Washington Redskins. They're now called Washington Football Team, and they're going to come up with a, a new name later. You know, maybe you'll come up with a new name. Maybe you'll be the person to name the Washington Football Team. Maybe you'll be the person to come up with a new constellation. I don't know. But you can become the sole conspirator in your own life and feel just as much security from that as you do from this weird give and take. You know, this this thing where it's like, oh, people are constantly doing conspiracies behind the scenes, and I hate it, but I also love it because it makes me feel like there's a handrail that I can rest my hand on. Oh, I hate my parents, but I sure love the fact that hating my parents gives me something to rest on instead of having to face chaos on my own terms. I sure hate the president, but I love the fact that he gives me this large, omnipresent target, and everything I'm feeling that sucks right now, I can just project right onto him. You can get away from all that and and say, well, you can you can keep thinking that, but at least you know what you're thinking. At least you know why you're doing that. And if you know why you're doing that, you'll probably stop doing that for the most part. And you might actually have a little bit of fun with it. Not that there aren't real things you should be concerned about. you know. Not that you shouldn't have concerns about the president. Not that you shouldn't have concerns about the law. Not that you shouldn't be worried to some degree about people who are plotting and planning things behind the scenes. But with all of these things, you can only address those as far as you have control, you know, as far as your ability to control yourself. What can you do in relation to those? And when you start seeing yourself as the sole conspirator in your life, you'll realize the extent of your own power. And maybe you'll develop delusions of grandeur. I don't know. Grandeur. Granger? Are you talking about the Grange? Grange? You'll be able to book events at the local grange. As soon as you realize the the extent of your own power, you're gonna learn how to you're gonna you're gonna develop delusions of grandeur, which means that you're gonna book swap meets at the local grange. You're gonna have the power to book swap meets at the swap meets at the local grange. Now, I mean you could easily develop delusions of grandeur about it and be like yeah i am the sole conspirator in fact i'm jesus christ oh, so what you're telling me is i'm jesus you know people who have mental issues go there with it people with mental issues start seeing themselves as the messiah which you want to say to them oh you're you're almost there <laughs> you know you're you're so close to having the right idea You're so you know you can measure yourself up to Jesus. You know you can measure yourself next to Jesus. You can use that as a you know a point of comparison uh, for being a better person. But don't go all the way. Don't go all the way there. You just want to make make sure that you have control over your own life, and you want to be that sole conspirator rather than the victim of endless conspiracies. Because when you are the sole conspirator of your life, there really isn't any feeling more secure than that. This land is mine Say